welcome to this week's LNT Chat Show. And today I'm with uh, Amy Stickles. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, Amy? Yes, um, so I work as a assistant professor at the University of Warwick, where I am the director for academic development and learning enhancement for my department. Um, I work in the Warwick Foundation Studies Department, where I teach primarily international students on a one year foundation programme. Um, I specialise in philosophy, but I also have a background in secondary school teaching. I did a PGCE some 20 years ago, spent 16 years working in schools. Um, and then came into HE about five years ago. Okay, philosophy is a, a very interesting area to teach. Um, the, the kind of students that you're taking, you said they're, they're largely or they're solely international students? Um, they are predominantly, I'd say, 99.9% .9 international students. We've had one or two home students, but not many. Okay, and, and what kind of degree programmes are they, they going on into? Um, or they, is it mixed? They, it's completely mixed. We have 10 course pathways um, stretching from business management to social science and arts and humanities, which is what I teach on, um, sciences, engineering, mathematics. They're going on to all sorts of different areas, hoping to stay at Warwick, but also going to other institutions as well, all through okay. UCAS. And, and it's actually philosophy that you're teaching them or? Yes. Wow. Yes. Uh, and I mean, obviously, you know, from my very limited understanding, I mean, philosophy is an enormous area. Is this is this something that just focuses on a, a particular area that's of interest to you, or are were there is there a rationale for the particular bits of philosophy that you introduce the students to? Um, well, primarily because a lot of them want to stay at Warwick, I will I, I talk to the department at Warwick about what sort of areas of philosophy um, would be useful to the students, but also drawing on my, on my experience of teaching A level philosophy. Um, I have an idea in terms of um, putting them on a level playing field with home students as to what sort of knowledge and understanding they ought to have to help them to then progress into, into that area. Um, so no, I mean, the students specialise in a bit of metaphysics, we do a bit of epistemology and we do ethics because most students have got an opinion on something ethical, I tend to find. Right. The good level playing field for all students from whichever part of the world they come from. Well, that, that's really interesting because I, I, I teach um, uh, business students and I've often wondered whether um, first years, rather than necessarily trying to uh, sort of introduce a, a foundation to, to business in my specialist areas of marketing and advertising, whether it, we wouldn't be better um, actually just spending more time getting the students to, to learn how to question things and think critically and um, it, from my perspective, think creatively and that perhaps, you know, an introduction to uh, critical theory or philosophy or um, um, literary criticism even because again my first degree is in English um, wouldn't perhaps be more useful uh, for them in terms of I mean do you do you find it actually do you, do you think it does help with their critical thinking? Yes definitely um, I also find for our students particularly um, a lot of our students are coming from some of the Asian nations um, quite a lot of them coming from mainland China on my particular course um, it's about building their confidence in being able to think critically. Um, lots of them can do it. Um, it's just that they're not necessarily confident in doing it. Um, you don't want to necessarily uh, question what the teacher has to say because you're the expert, you're the professor in this. Um, and so it helps them to feel that actually it's it's um, academically acceptable to say, I disagree with that opinion. And in seeing the debates in philosophy between eminent philosophers from all over the world helps them to appreciate the fact that, yes, you can have a difference of opinion and it still be academic and scholarly. Yeah. And 
it's really fascinating. I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that that's not what we're actually here to, to talk about today. Perhaps I'll catch up with you separately at some time. Um, so I know that um, uh, you do a lot of uh, group work. I don't know if this is a session group work or formative group work or just group work that you do in class. And you want to talk to us today um, about at least a couple of the activities that you, you do in that. Do you want to just give us a, a brief idea of, of what we're going to be discussing? Yes, so there are two main types of activities that are almost kind of bread and butter activities, things that I will go back to time and again um, that are quite useful in class to get them to work together, to trust each other, but also to get them to see different perspectives on different ideas. One of them is called a pass the book activity um, and the other one is called a jigsaw activity. And actually the two activities can work together in some ways, but it can get quite complicated. Um, and I've done them primarily in face-to-face -face classrooms. Um, it gets more complex when you're online, although with technologies like Padlet, for example, or Miro boards, Miro boards, however you pronounce them, um, that you can also use these, these activities online as well with a bit with just a bit of thought, I think, as to how you might implement them. And, and were these done in response to a situation? Because I, I quite often find myself in, in at the point where I'm trying to do something or I've done something, but it just hasn't worked. Um, as a response to that, or, or are these things that you saw demonstrated maybe somewhere and thought, oh, that would be really useful because? Um, some of these are tricks that I picked up when I was a secondary school teacher. So these are things right. that I would have done with my A-level students. And so part of it is, again, putting my international students on a level playing field with home students by getting them to experience, I suppose, what my students in UK schools would have had a, um, a sort of so I, I tried to think what the, fra the phrase is, um, so their experiences in schools. Um, but also it's in response to the fact that I find if I ask a class to discuss an idea, you know, in philosophy, I need them to discuss ideas, they get very quiet. And so this was a way of enabling them to work in small groups and also to be able to work in a very non-threatening way because they don't, both of these activities don't, in that, don't um, require the student to say, this is my idea. They can almost kind of, take a certain anonymity from the small group, but still share their ideas and understand what other people think. So it's all about sharing the idea as well as developing the idea. OK, so I know you said that they could work together, but just, uh, you know, I like to think that I'm kind of the poo bear of marketing. So I'm a bear of bear of limited brain. If you could just go through them uh, one at a time. And I, I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I, I'm trying to think, well, I might be able to guess what that is, but um, I, I would hate to be wrong. So. Could you start with the pass the buck idea? Yes. So with pass the buck, um, this I've used for um, case studies type work. I've used it for gathering ideas about strengths and weaknesses of a theory. I've used it in um, looking at past exam questions might be on. So, so I can use it in a sort of formative way to help students on pick assessment. So different students would be they can either be they can do this individually um, or they can do it in small groups. They'd be given a set amount of time, say 10 minutes to work on X question, for instance, or X case study. They'd write it all. I'm a big fan of big pieces of paper and uh, marker pens. I don't know why, but the students tend to quite like that. You could also use this in maths, to be fair, if you were looking at um, a maths um, problem and students start to get working on it. Once the, after 10 minutes, the klaxon goes off and they pass the piece of paper round. I usually do it um, uh, clockwise around the classroom just to cause less confusion. They pass it on then to the next group or to the next person who gets 10 minutes. OK, and, and sorry, the, the things that each group is looking at, are they are they different questions or do they all relate to the same 
you can do it either way. So you could have students set up doing completely different case studies, which again is quite useful for revision purposes, completely different case studies, um, or you could get them all doing um, the same answers. And then what would happen is the piece of paper then gets passed around. The students then get 10 minutes, if that's the amount of time you want to set on it. They have to, they can read what's already there. They can change what's already there. And if different groups have got different color pens, it can also help to track who's doing what. Um, and then they can add to the answer or they can add to the case study with more information. And in doing that, and you keep going around as many times as your seminar or your, your workshop allows, um, the students then get to experience other people's ideas. They get to um, add to it. And so you're kind of creating a collective set of answers, which could either lead to five different case studies if you've got five groups at the end of the lesson, five different answers to five different exam style questions or plans, it depends on type of questions you're doing, um, which then could either be photographed and shared at the end. And so you get that idea again that I'm contributing, I'm having my ideas, but I'm looking and seeing what other people are doing it. I'm picking up ideas. I'm correcting somebody else's, but in a non-threatening way, because I don't actually know whose idea it was. And so you get that greater amount of collaboration. Okay. And and what would you normally do? You mentioned at the end, you might take photographs um, mm -hmm. or, or pin them up somewhere. Is is there is there a sort of final exercise that you get them to do in terms of reflecting on what the different things were? Do they, did, you know, does it become the basis of a discussion for the following week or, or is there something else? can be it can be so where it's been sort of exam question then it might then be that the final task is that it goes back to the original group who have to look back over it all um, and then they're given a mark scheme and they get to then mark the piece of work what sort of a response would you get or you might pin them up around the room on a, in a, in a follow-up seminar and ask the groups to actually mark each other's work and put it on post-it notes and that sort of thing um, to get to again to open up the conversation about what a good piece of work is what's missing what was tweaked what have we learned from this um, so it would depend I think on what you were using it for I mean if you're using it for something like a case study you then might give different groups different uh, the different case studies afterwards to then do work with um, in some way. Um, it could then go on, um, we use um, Moodle as our BLE at Warwick. So you then might mm. give students different piece of work and then adding to a database activity on Moodle, which is then available for everybody, which they could then develop that a little bit further. So it can be used in different ways, depending upon what it is that the content of the, the, the pass the book activity is. And what, what kind of feedback have you had from the, the students about you know how how they feel about this because I know I, you know sometimes students can feel that something is very formulaic or they they you know they understand what they're supposed to do but not necessarily why they're doing it. If they generally responded positively, generally they respond positively. Um, it's important in setting it up that you explain that you know part of this isn't just about showing off what you know. It's about working collaboratively and seeing other people's ideas and learning to trust each other, that you don't need to rely on the teacher all the time for the answers, that actually you can trust one another to get the answers right in some way um, and to share that learning with each other. Because some students can get very, um, I noticed this in schools as well as at university level, that they don't like sharing ideas particularly because how do I know they've got the right answer? And mm. so encouraging that activity where the teacher really doesn't need to get involved other than to keep time um, and maybe sort of top and tail the, the session actually can be quite empowering for students um, to, in terms of trusting each other um, with, the, with the materials. And is this something you would do from the very beginning or do you, do you need the, 
students have been together for a number of uh, you know a few weeks before i don't know how long the course is where you normally deliver this on or the module rather um it, or is it something you have to wait a while or i've done it from the get-go um i've done it people who are relative strangers all the way through to revision sessions um i teach my module goes on all throughout the academic year so it's a 25-week course um, right. so i've done it at all stages of the course um, students are a little bit reticent to start with, always, um, largely because a lot of my students are used to that sort of lecture style of teaching. Yeah. Uh, but it does help, particularly when used earlier on, it helps to break down some of those barriers that little bit quicker and for them to go, oh, you do mean for us to work together. You do mean for us to trust each other. And that can be quite helpful as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I ask because I've noticed, particularly when teaching at level four, that there is a lot of... Um, not knowing and expectation and, and one of the things that we're trying to address with regards to what happens at level five and level six is is how how we help to actually set those expectations very early on um and you're right that idea of um of peer learning and peer exchange i think is quite important for students to get used to um and we're also you know trying to identify ways in which we can we can get students to think about things without always second guessing themselves um, because then they, they, you know, irrespective of their ability, they they start to um, to doubt themselves and and lack confidence. So I'm 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 thinking about you know the possibility of something like this in terms of giving students a bit more confidence, especially in terms of um, mm -hmm. them actually knowing more than they think that they know. But you know, if as you said, if you just ask a general question, it's the quickest way to get a group of students to. Um, be quiet because you know irrespective of whether or not they think they know the answer very few of them really want to uh, sort of put themselves forward in front of a, a group of other students so it, it does sound lovely in terms of generating a real buzz amongst the students where they're all kind of talking to themselves um you mentioned that there was a, a second activity uh to do with jigsaws i'm a big fan of jigsaws i'm assuming we're probably not talking about the same kind of thing that i i do in my spare time so uh, how would how would that activity work Yes, you're right. It's not like the, the, the jigsaw you're expecting. So um, this one can be a bit more um, complicated. Um, I've sometimes referred to it as spies, if you wanted to add a sort of that sort of dimension to it. I think it depends on whether your students are up for that sort of metaphor or not. Um, so to begin with, students would work in small groups. Um, I have seminar groups of about eight, uh, 16, 18. So I might put them in groups of four. Um, each group might be given a different, um, I'll take an example of ethics, each one might be given a different ethical problem and um, they are told to, and they might each be given um, a different ethical theory. So you've got utilitarianism, you've got Kantian theory, you've got virtue theory, for example. Each group then will sit and talk about well, what is the theory, how does it apply? Then in the group of four, they'll be given a set period of time, depends how long you want for the activity, that's about 10, 15 minutes. After the 15 minutes, each group needs to number each other. So you'll have, uh, so if there's four in the group, they'll number themselves one to four. And then basically you divide up the groups again. So all the number ones, so each one from each of those groups right. would then join to make a new group, all the number twos, threes and fours. This one is very, much better in a physical classroom because you can send them to different areas of the room. At that point in time, they have a certain amount of time then to share what they have learned. So in that sense, they've gone from being expert, they've gone in their little expert groups to then um, to be then becoming a spy in which they're then they're taking it to their new group, my new information, which I'm now going to share with everybody else. And they're then given a set period of time in which to do that. 
sometimes that can be really helpful. So in, in, um, for in this instance, sort of sharing that sort of information about theory. Again, you can see it working for something like a case study where students might investigate more of a problem based learning thing where you're actually looking at the case study, which then later on you're then going to share briefly and present, if you like, in very small groups. You I find it works best if students are given something like a grid or a table. I have to say I'm a big table maker, it's the way my brain works. And they would then perhaps complete a grid or a table based on what each other in the new group is now telling them. So they've then got a complete set of notes to take away. Because I also think that students often like, not necessarily always a piece of paper, but they like something to take away. Yeah. <laughs> so they can actually see, oh, do you know what? I've completed this today or I've, I've done this over this set period of time. So the jigsaw, um, the jigsaw, I find is quite useful. I find it nice for getting students to work with students that they don't ordinarily work with because right. they, they don't know who is one to four in the other group. So then when you put them all together in, a, you know, all the threes have now gone into their three group. Oh, I've not worked with you before. Oh, um, whereas when they're in their little expert groups to begin with, um, they often will gravitate towards their friends. So it's a nice way to get them to mix that little bit more without you as the teacher having to force it in some way. And that actually does beg a, a, another question, um, given that um, much against my better judgment in some respects, uh, I actually use quite a lot of, of group work, especially in, um, in the classroom setting. Um, you're dealing with relatively small seminars and therefore relatively small groups. Um, are you just, is there an expectation it's just about groups that kind of sit together so self-forming groups or you know do you, do you ask them to divide themselves up or do you number them or do you have a particular technique for splitting people into groups I, i'm always concerned about uh, people who may be on the outside of groups and I, i'm going to come on to some of the extra bits about that in a second so is do you use a particular formula or are they self-selecting um, some days it's self-selecting, some days it's not. Um, I find the easiest thing to do because um, a lot of time can be wasted in any classroom with students trying to work out who am I going to work with. And you're right, there is always that one student who either doesn't want to get involved or feels excluded from the group. And I'm always mindful of that student. Um, and so sometimes it is just a case of, right, I need five groups. I'm just going to walk around the room and go one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. And all the ones you're going to work together, um, et cetera, because then I'm not picking on anybody. It's happening to everyone. Everybody knows what the group is. The group is assigned, um, particularly if it's only for a seminar at a time. If I'm not asking you to work together outside of lessons, mm. when often that's when the sort of group work dynamic sometimes doesn't work, I notice. Um, students who are friends will always work better than students who aren't and then you always get a complaint about so and so is not pulling their weight and that sort of thing but if it's a seminar-based activity like the jigsaw or the pass the book it's just it's I often find it's much easier for me to just go one two three four five one two three four five than um, the me even pre-setting the groups because in pre-setting the groups the question comes why have you put me with so and so yeah. are you picking on me whereas you can just see me go one two three four five and they know it's just it is just the look of where you've sat in the classroom and as I say you break up some of those uh, friendship groups which can be excluding by their own nature um plus it's it's good for people to learn to work with others because that's what happens in the real world you don't always get to work with who you want no ab absolutely <laughs> um and just as a as an aside because I know this is something which has been brought up um, before in in discussions that that I've been involved in, have you ever um, had any students that were neurally atypical, perhaps that maybe don't like group work or group activities? 
yes. <laughs> and, yes and do you have a, 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 a method for, for dealing with that? Because again, I think it's, number one, it's obviously quite a sensitive issue, but it also seems to be becoming a much, a much more significant thing in terms of uh, the amount of uh, atypical students that we meet who might have a range of, um, of different specific needs. And I, I'm conscious that, you know, I, I'm I, I feel somebody very much who has to say, well, what works best for you? Because I don't really have any overall game plan. Mm. Um, I think if you are aware of who their students are in advance, then I would often, if uh, I would often contact them to let them know it's happening. Because for some, it's the anxiety of, I've now been given this task to do with this group of people. Um, and I didn't know about it. And that that's very anxiety causing. Um, and so to let them know that it's going to be happening in advance can help. If I know it's happening in advance and um, I, I would then let them know and I might even come back to them with, and is there somebody who you would feel more comfortable with working in? And I will see if I can engineer the one, two, three, four, five to a certain extent to enable that to happen, to take away some of the anxiety. I mean, obviously, the student who knows in advance and decides not to turn up in that sense is voting with their feet. Uh, there's not much I can do about that. Um, that is their choice, ultimately. And I might then provide some work. You know, this is the work we were going to do. It's kind of, do you want to take part or not? I'm not sure that's the best response to it, though, either. Um, this is why I think to be able to do small group work that's only, say, 10 minutes long. OK, you've got a five minute conversation with the person sat next to you just to get people acclimatized to group work over time rather than jumping in perhaps straight away with something like this if you know that you've got um, as you say atypical students then that can help to build some form of confidence and experience that can help so even small activities like a snowball task where you know turn to the person next to you you've got two minutes to discuss an idea and then you know then turn to another pair and share um, and then we'll feedback one idea from the group, then you're just building a student's experience of working with others in mm. a, in a non-threatening way. Um, and certainly with something like a jigsaw, certainly with the past the book, um, there is still that anonymity of not really knowing whose work it was to start with or who said what. So if I have sat back and been quite quiet and listened instead of perhaps being very active, it's not going to show up quite as much. Yeah. And what the students have responded equally well to the, the jigsaw activities? Yes. I mean, the first time I did it, it caused great confusion. What group am I in? Which group is it next? Like, you've just got to remember a number between one and four. It's not that hard, honest. Um, so sometimes it's quite useful to have the numbers one to four written on a piece of paper so that, right, where do I go? I'm the number one. Where am I supposed to be? So that they're sort of pinned up uh, with blue tack around the room. That makes life a lot easier. Um, the second time I did it, it was much more successful than the first because we'd had the dummy run, if you like, beforehand. And yeah. the students knew a little bit more of what to expect and that it wasn't something they could that they needed to worry about um, because they knew that it was about sharing ideas. And, and the, the seminars, are they are they sort of 50 minutes an hour long? They're 50 minutes. Yeah. OK. Um, so uh, are there things that have developed over time or, or you know, thinking ahead? I, kn I know before we. I've started recording you said you, you've actually still got um, a month's worth of uh, teaching left to do but um, at some point obviously you'll you'll sit down and review are there, are there things that are going to change for the, the for the coming year or things that 
you recognise have changed over over time? Uh, well, for us on our course, because we teach international students on tier four visas, for us, we're actually returning back to face to face um, completely. We won't be blended learning um, in future. So um, it's sort of finding different ways back in the classroom that also integrates some of the technologies that we've been using, but not but we don't want to lose um, and how you can sort of blend in that way without actually having a blended learning model. Um, so those are the sorts of things that we're having to think about in our department now is the return to completely face to face because of the tier four visa requirement for face to face for students who are level three and under. OK, and I know you mentioned Padlet before and I'm familiar with Padlet in terms of it being a, a almost a, an electronic post-it note slash whiteboard um, participatory thing. Were there other platforms that you're particularly keen on? Um, I'm a big fan of Miro, or Miro, can never know how to pronounce how, it. How's that spelled? Uh, M-I-R-O, uh, oh, a bit okay. like the artist, but again, I don't know how to pronounce the artist's name either. Um, that is, um, that's more of a mind mapping um, board. Um, the university has a license for it at Warwick. Um, I find it particularly good. You can do more like the Padlets with the sort of post-it notes, but also they have set templates for doing um, project management tools and just helping students to think in different ways. Students can be set up with their own boards, which they can share. And I know um, a lot of people do lots of design work with the students co-creating at the university doing that. Um, they can also be, you can also share them amongst small groups, which is how you can then do some of these activities I've described today by sharing the codes between each other. Um, you, um, yeah, I'm a particular fan of, of Miro, Miro. <laughs> I, think, I think they're great, they're, they're great tools. And as I say, they've got set templates that can be really very helpful um, for, for staff that you can then adapt and use depending upon what you want them for. Okay, um, and for, for both the, um, uh, the jigsaw and the pass the buck, uh, if someone sort of, you know, listens to this and think, oh, you know, those both sound like really good uh, exercises because they're they're involving, they're dynamic. Um, clearly, the, I, I know personally the one thing that I want in a seminar is for the students to do at least seventy percent of the talking, if not more, um, and also for myself to have time to be able to wander around and watch interactions because I think that does give you a a better sense of maybe how students are getting on. You know, without even listening to them, just just watching their body language and and you know whether they're leaning in or sitting back or whatever. Um, are there any tips that you would give people sort of when they're thinking about doing these things that, that maybe they need to think about in particular or um, things that work particularly well? I think very carefully about um, the timing of it. Um, the first time you do it, inevitably, you'll probably get the timing wrong. And I still get it wrong now in terms of underestimating how long it might take a student or a group of students to do X activity. So it's always better to under plan in those lessons than over plan or indeed to have some extension activities in the background that you can do away with um, if the students need more time to get on with the actual jigsaw or pass the book because as I say it always takes longer than you think um, particularly in the jigsaw activity where the students are feeding back to each other in the, the new groups that they form that always takes longer than you think particularly if they're writing notes. Okay uh, that, that's uh, excellent. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Two incredibly practical things, uh, both of which I am almost certainly going to be using. Um, we're developing a, a new a set of new first year modules. They've just 
change the structure of them slightly. So I, at the moment, I'm trying to gather together all of the things that I've ever seen where I've thought, oh, that, that's quite a good idea. And actually think, no, I'm going to I'm going to throw them all in because it would be a good opportunity to to test those out and integrate them. And, and as I mentioned earlier, really just to, to make the the, the classroom process something which is a little bit more um, exciting and, and dynamic for the students. So thank you very much, uh, Amy. Pleasure.